Please turn in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Last week, I forgot to do something. Not last week. I forgot to do something just today. So while I'm doing it, I will tell you what I'm doing. Uh, Because I can't do two things, two different things at one time. I'm going to put my phone here to act as a second microphone so those people at home can hear better. So um, forgive me for that. I, I will just give you my excuse. I have been really caught up in the songs that we have been singing and in the scripture texts that have been read and how fitting they are with what we are speaking about today, even from Sunday school, just how the Lord fits things together. And uh, it's, um, it's something that we should not take for granted and that we should give him thanks for. Yeah. And, uh, and I will say this, that this is, this is the Lord's day and we're here to worship and praise him. And we're certainly not here to uh, pay laud and honor to Jeff Powers. But I just want to say he puts a lot of effort into bringing all these things together with no, no help from me. Are you helping him at all? So uh, church, let's express our thanks to brother Jeff as you see him uh, and as you are able for all that he does to, uh, to make our worship services what they are. It's uh, God uses his efforts and we appreciate uh, what he does and we appreciate what the Lord does for us in it. So if you're in Acts chapter 17, last week we began to look at this text and we saw Paul addressing the Areopagus. We remember that Paul worked from their religious piety. He he worked from their inclusive array of idols and statues and objects of worship that were all over the city. He worked from that point and he brought them directly to the God of of scripture, the God who is. And we noted that Paul evangelized in a way that may strike us as odd. He started with the doctrine of God. He began answering the question, who is the God of the Bible? Who is the God of the Bible? Last week we ran short of time And just did through most of what Paul says here, a rapid fire commentary through these verses, which speak of the characteristics and the attributes of God. So today, I'd like to go back and revisit these verses and look more closely at these very important things which Paul spoke about to the Athenians. Uh, this will serve, if you will, I'm not, I'm not a preacher who preaches series. We preach through a book of the Bible, but this will be a sort of a sub-series as we consider these attributes and characteristics of God in this sermon, in this speech of Paul at the Areopagus. As Paul speaks here, this presentation of Jehovah was used by Paul to call sinners to repentance. And that was nearly 2,000 years ago. Beloved, still today, 
theology proper will point men and women to God. As our eyes of faith are opened by the Word and the Spirit to see the true and living God, our prayer, even this morning, is that we will know our God better. That we will be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And that God would save souls. Over the coming weeks, as we consider again this text that Paul speaks at the Areopagus, we will look at these verses under the following headings, if you will. God is creator. God is ase. Now those two will be today. God is creator. God is ase. God is spirit. God is sovereign and providential. God is near. And God is the just judge. So as we begin today, let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time. God of heaven, you have been pleased to reveal yourself to mankind through the holy scriptures. Yet we know that without the work of your Holy Spirit, we would be unable to know you. So to that end, we we ask you to move today, to move in power among us, to help us to see. Even though we peer through a glass darkly, that you would help us to see truthfully that you would help us to see you as you have revealed yourself, that you would help us to hear the voice of Christ Jesus speak to us in our spirits. God, we pray for the blessing of your word. We pray for the preacher, that you would hide the preacher behind the cross, but that you would give clarity of communication. And God, we pray for the hearer, for the listener. God, make us us good, fertile soil for the seed of the gospel. Help us today as we expand our minds, as we stretch our thinking. Help us, Lord. Give us focus. We ask all this for your glory. We ask all this for your kingdom, for your bride, for your church. And in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen. We'll read Acts 17, verses 23 through 31. Acts 17, 23 through 31. This is the word of God. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, 
nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Brothers and sisters, in preparation to get us ready for this message today, I want to say a couple of things. First and foremost, I am not smart enough to write this sermon all by myself. Talk to anybody who went to high school with me and they will tell you that on my best day, I was average. And I would add this. Today, on my best day, I am still average. And I say this for two reasons. First, to give credit where credit is due, to tell you that, that I am leaning heavily on the work of others, other theologians and other philosophers. Uh, for much of what I will say today and much of how I understand these things, most notably Dr. James Dolezal and the late Dr. R.C. Sproul. So I lean heavily on their work and the work of others Secondly, I point out my averageness, my average intellect to encourage each one of you. Because the things that we talk about today will be things that some would say are difficult to understand. But you can understand these things, at least in a very simple, basic way, because I have in a very simple, basic way. There's a possibility that we will mention some new terms today, some new words. Maybe you've already heard some new words that you're like, what is that? Uh, and, and I want you to know, you can learn these new terms, but even if you don't grasp the terms, even if they don't stay with you, let me encourage you to get hold of the concepts that we speak of today because we are dealing today with the God who is. And God has revealed himself. Don't, don't think that God has made a big Easter egg hunt for us. He has not concealed. He has revealed himself to us through his word. So today we'll cover the first two 
points in my account as I read through this text that Paul says. The first two things that Paul says about God. He is the God who is the one who made all things. The world and everything in it. So God is creator. And Paul says that God is ase. Now we will forego the Dolezal pronunciation class. If you need to know more about that, I'd be glad to talk to you about it afterwards. God is creator and God is ase. To do that, we will begin with this term ase. God is ase. If you're taking notes, that is A-S-E. God is ase. So I want to start with this word, this adjective, describing God, ase. And there is a noun form that you might hear me speak of, aseity. God's aseity is the noun form. So I'll give you a quick definition because that's what we want to know, right? What is ase? God is ase. When we say that God is ase, or when we speak of the aseity of God, we're saying that He exists, that He is in and of Himself, Without any other source. God exists in and of himself without any other source. So I have to think about this in simple terms. How do we think about this? What helps God be God? Nothing. Even better. What helps God be? Nothing. Nothing. And we will see that everything else that is not God, you can't say that about. Everything else that exists, exists from outside of itself, outside of himself, herself. God exists in and of himself without any other source. Now, I get this from verse 25. Verse 25, we see this, and, and if you read it very quickly, you will say, well, the word ase is not there. It's not in this verse. But the verse tells us in verse 25 that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So we recognize here Aseity in that God does not need anything. He is not served by human hands. And we would, we would broaden that to say God is not served by anything. God is not served by anything. He needs nothing. He receives nothing from mankind. And what's more, he is the source and sustainer of all. Now, I'm going to tell you all what happens as a preacher. I, I preach from a manuscript. Most of what I say is written down in front of me, except for this. Sometimes I will have 12 pages, and I know I've got to stick to the script. And today, this is very short. So I'm going to add some things as we go, which is going to probably turn into a really long sermon. God is served by nothing. But don't we say we are serving God? God receives nothing. But don't we say we give Him glory? 
Don't we say we give him worship? We need to understand when we say we serve God, when we say we give to him glory, when we say we give to him worship, when we say we give to him ourselves, what do we mean by that? We give to God what is already his. We ascribe to God in those statements the glory that is already His, that is already due to Him. We're just acknowledging it. So we say that we serve God. We say we give to God. But God is served by none. And God receives nothing. When we glory and praise and worship to God all our days, if we were able to do it perfectly, God would be increased. God would be bettered None. Because he is already God. This discussion of aseity is a discussion of being. A discussion of is. You've already heard me say that he is the God who is. This is a discussion of being. So we have to remember in this discussion being words, being words, being verbs that you were taught in grammar. I hope they're still teaching grammar, but I, I worry. Some of you will have to think back much further than others. I'm talking to you, brother. <laughs> Some of you will have to think way back to grammar school when you heard about the being verbs. And they just roll off the tongue, right? Am, is, our was, were, be, being, been. Am, is, our was, were, be, being, been. These are the words that we use to speak about being, to speak about existence. And you might think, we never talk about that. But we do. We talk about existence and being every day, every day when we use these verbs. Am, is, are, was, were, be, being, been. We ask questions. How are you? How are you? Who are you? Where were you? What is that? Every time we use these words, we are speaking about existence. We're speaking about being. I am Pastor Gill. I was in the hallway. That is a table. We use these words all the time and we speak about existence. And when we ask these questions, who are you? Where were you? What is this or that? We are asking about a description, some specific detail about the existence of a thing, about the being of a thing or a person. So we speak of this every day. We say a rock is, a flower is, a person is. And we're speaking about being. But notice I ordered those things in an order 
of their state of being. Uh, something that is more simple or more complex. Something that has a higher or lower state of existence. Here's what I mean. A rock is and a person is. But the isness of a rock and the isness of a person is very different, right? What are our expectations of a rock? They're very low. Very, very low. We expect more from something like a flower, right? We expect more from a flower. It grows. It changes in a different way. Rocks change. Put a rock in the river and see how it changes. Rocks change, but we expect more of a flower. And when we speak about persons, we expect even more of a person, right? That's why when someone says, you're dumb as a box of rocks, it's not a good, it's not a good thing, is it? It's not a good thing for us to say. But we speak of this is-ness, and we see that a rock is and a person is, but the isness is different. The existence is different. The being is different. We use another word to talk about that, and it's called quiddity. Quiddity. There's quantity, there's quality, and there's quiddity. Quiddity is the isness of a thing. So we could say a rock is and a person is, but their quiddity is different. They are not of the same quiddity. So we think of things in relation to their state of existence. We think of things, a rock and a flower and a person, and we think of their state of existence kind of on a continuum. But we would err. We would be wrong to think of God as a being further down the continuum from a rock, a flower, a person, and then God is further down. We would be wrong to think of God as someone just, as a being just higher in existence. We will see that God is altogether different. This morning, Brother Jeff read from our confession in our Sunday school time that the distance, that there is an infinite distance between the Creator and creation. There is an infinite distance, friends, between God and you and me. He is altogether different. Now, to get to this differentness, I want to talk for a moment about being, and I want to introduce to you two philosophers. I say introduce, some of you may have heard of these fellows. Uh, they, all of this stuff comes to me like brand new, like I wake up in a new world every day. Parmenides is the first man that I want us to talk about. Parmenides, he's a guy that I think you're going to remember. You might not remember his name, but you're going to remember the, the deep, wonderful, philosophical statement of Parmenides. Uh, Dr. Sproul said that this statement that I'm going to share with you caused him more than any other to consider existence. To consider existence. So when you hear this statement, remember, Dr. Sproul thought this was important. Brace yourself. Parmenides said, whatever is, is. Whatever is, is. Now, 
that sounds foolish at first. It just sounds like, well, of course. But remember, Dr. Sproul said this caused him to go back and consider existence, and it should for us too. There's much more to, to think about here. Now, Parmenides also said the opposite. Whatever is not, is not. So there, there's good things for us to consider in this. Whatever is, is. Whatever is not, is not. So is cannot come from is not. Isness doesn't come from is notness. Or maybe we could say it more clearly, right? Something cannot come from nothing. Something cannot come from nothing. And if we remember Paul at the Areopagus, he's there in Athens and he had spoke to the Epicureans who had questioned him in Athens and they believed this truth. Something cannot come from nothing. This is why they held to an eternal existence of the universe. All things that are have always been. They held to an eternal existence of the universe. Now, they were off on some of this. They really got off into the weeds when they imagined the current state of things as an accident of atoms. As just an accidental, uh, random chance state of being. Somebody's thinking, that sounds familiar. That sounds like what I was taught in school. That sounds like what we see coming across the airwaves on radio and television. That things are an accident. That's what the Epicureans believed. I'm considering teaching another sermon next Sunday to show us the foolish, the utter foolishness of that. Because it is absolutely ridiculous that everything is a random chance. But Parmenides said whatever is is and whatever is not is not so if there was ever a time when there was nothing there would still be nothing so Parmenides said whatever is is but someone came along and questioned that premise they questioned his thinking not not all of it but but some of it Heraclitus of Ephesus he noted that all things which are, all things which are, are not as they once were. All things which are, are not as they once were. One thing we know about existence in this universe is that change is the only constant. Things change. And that's what Heraclitus points out. He points out that, that things change he, he used a phrase to communicate this observation. The phrase that he used to say this was, you cannot step in the same river twice. You can't step in the same river twice. So think about that. The, you can't step in the same river twice. The water that you step in with your next step is not the same water that you stepped in last step. That makes sense. We think about a river. That water has, has flowed. It's downstream. Now there's different water. So you can't step in the same river twice. And, and that gets us close. But here's another thing. The you 
who steps in with the second step is not the same you who stepped in the first step. You have changed. You are at least a few seconds or nanoseconds older. But the you who stepped in with the first step, you were a man, a woman who had no feet in the water. And you made a first step. So the first step was by a person with no feet in the water. Now the second step is by a person with one foot in the water. The first step was by a person who wasn't really sure the temperature of the water. Or the swiftness of the current. Or the depth of mud or rock or firmness or softness of the bottom of the river. Now the second step, that you has all of that data. You know that stuff. You increase in knowledge. The thought occurs to me, some of you are going to just say, this is great. And some of you are going to say, man, I don't know that I'm following. If you're not following this, please, I, I want to hear from you because I want to help you to understand these things because I think they're so important as we understand God. Heraclitus says you're, you can't step in the same river twice. On the second step, you have learned, you have changed. You're not the person that stepped in in the first step. Heraclitus teaches us that whatever is, is changing. Whatever is, is changing. We, we would say it this way. Whatever is, is really becoming. We, we exist as people becoming. You are becoming what you are not and you are what you weren't. We are becoming. There is a state of constant change for us. There's potential. Potential. For you young folks, that's a, that's a good word if you ask an older person. Sometimes young people don't like the word potential. You're not living up to your potential. Oh, well, I, I heard that. I, I was with... Uh, an older man, I say older, he seemed old at the time. He was probably 40. <laughs> he seemed old at the time. I was on ministry staff with him at a church and someone said to him, you have such great potential. And we walked away and he was mad. And I see now, why? Because by the time you're 40, potential ought to become actual. Potential ought to become actual. So we are, we are people who are constantly changing. We're constantly becoming. We have potential and potential becomes actual. But our potentiality is also undergoing change. And even the actual that comes to pass is not just actual. It's actually changing. It's changing. We are people changing. We are not purely actual. Our actual is in a state of becoming. Beloved, this is what it is to exist in the universe. Everything, everything is marked by consecutive series of change. Everything is marked by change. We measure change 
And we define ourselves by change. Did you finish your degree? Well, finished is a word about change. Finishing that degree means you gain some knowledge, gain some information. We speak and we measure everything by change. I am 50 years old. That is a measure of the change of time in my existence. And even as I say, I'm 50 years old. If you're thinking right, you're thinking, no, you're not. You were 50 years old July 10th at about 4.30 p.m. That's when you were 50 years old. Today, you're 50 years old plus however many days and minutes and seconds and fractions of a second have passed since that. And I'm getting older the longer the sentence goes on. <laughs> we measure everything by change. And everything is wrapped up in change in how we say things. We are constantly becoming. You can't say I am. You must say I am becoming. I am becoming. And our becoming, our potential, and the new existence that we inhabit for each nanosecond of our lives receives input and influence from outside of us. How many of you forgot to have your heart beat since we've been in here? I forgot about it. I haven't thought about it. Because my heartbeats don't come from me. They come from outside of me. Everything comes and gives input and influence to me. You are cold. I am hot. You are young. I am old. All of these things speak to outside influences. We have changed since we came into this room and sat down. We have changed. Some of you have become more comfortable. Some of you have become too comfortable. Some of you have become less comfortable. Some of you have become less attentive. Just a, just a reminder to stay with me. Since we sat down here, perhaps some of you have heard new words and have new vocabulary. Perhaps some of you have heard new concepts. Perhaps some of you have just been reminded of things. But we, we have changed since we've been here. And we are changing as the clock ticks and talks away the seconds we change. That is what it is to exist in the world. We are all changed. And that change comes from inputs and influences outside of us. But in back of all of those inputs and influences, behind all of that, stands God. The ultimate influence, the ultimate input. And this is why Paul says in verse 28, it is in Him that we live and move and have our being. In Him we live and move and have our existence because He is in back of all of that. God is the source of our being and the rock and the flower and the chair. He's the source of all being 
but he himself is from none. He is Ase. He receives input and influence from none. And the scripture speaks of this. Where does the scripture speak of this? In Job. <laughs> the whole time I was over there thinking, wow, this is the aseity of God. What he is, we are not. But way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you don't have to turn there, you can. But we, we know that verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's so much in here about this being, about this aseity of God, and that he is the source of all. First of all, in the beginning, friends, there was a beginning. There was a beginning. Everything had a beginning. And there was, now I'm going to use some words improperly or, or that are not technically right. Pre-beginning. That's difficult for us to think about. But, but pre-beginning, there was a time. There's another word used improperly. Pre-beginning, there was a time when there was nothing. But if, if what Parmenides said, that nothing can come out of nothing, then if there was a time that there was nothing, then there would still be nothing. Well, pre-beginning, there was a time when there was nothing except for one. In the beginning, God. God existed. God was. That's not proper either. God is before the beginning. In the beginning, God. And Genesis 1 helps us to understand that, that what Parmenides pointed out, nothing can come from nothing. That's true because there was God and all things come from Him. He is the source. God is out of none, from none, only of himself, without beginning, God is. Everything else is becoming. Everything else is becoming. God and God alone is. See, you might have thought when I said we're going to talk about the God who is, that we were comparing him to other God, no, God and God alone is. He is not subject to any input. He is not subject to any influence, time, growth, learning, changing. None of this exists in God. God has no potential. He is. He is. He is pure being. He is pure act. Now you are, but, but not really. You are becoming. You love, you hate, you do, you stop doing. All of those things are in flux. 
All of those things are in flux. What we're seeing here is that the aseity of God and the source that he is as creator gives us a lot of insight into his eternality, into his impassibility, into these other attributes of God. But we are in flux. God is not in flux. He is pure act. God is not moved. God is not emotional. God is not of like passions as we. God and God alone is. You see why God said to Moses, I am. And no, no one else, nothing else can say, I am. God is. The rest of Genesis 1 gives us the details of how it is that God, the say God, brought all things into existence. Let me give you the short version. He stood on nothing and he took nothing and he added his word. And he said, let there be. And there was. The ah say God, who is, is the creator and source of all. Paul stands there in Athens with all of those gods. We almost need another word because it it seems so foolish. All of those gods and all of those pagan idolaters. And he declared the God who created the world and all things in it, who receives nothing from men. We know, we know that there is such a God. The scriptures tell us, but even the firmaments declare his glory. Even creation shouts the existence of God. An say creator of all things. If that God is, if that God exists, then we, men and women, owe that God obedience. If that God exists, then He is the judge. There is an accountability. There is a reckoning for how we live. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. He came unto his own, but his own received him not because they loved sin. We should say this because we loved sin. So we ignore the God who is and we make new gods. 
God's made in our own image. Instead of worshiping the Asay creator, we worship creation. The beasts and the trees and the environment. Worshiping the earth and the animals, the atmosphere. We create gods that fit our sin. We create gods who aren't angry about sin. And this is what happened in Athens. They created false gods to fit every need that they thought they would have. Even one that was unknown and unnamed. But Paul comes and proclaims to them the one true living God and say creator who made the world and all things in it who gives life and breath to all men but exists himself in and of himself he is eternal he is not subject to change or time this is the God that Paul proclaimed at the Areopagus and this is the God that I proclaim to you today beloved do not believe the lies of the religious and the false gods of our day, namely the evolutionists and the atheists. Don't, don't love your sin so much that you are willing to accept the absurdity that is so rampant in our world today. Lost person, turn from your sin today and run to this assay creator for mercy and forgiveness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only hope that we have. Amen. Christian, we live in a messed up world, but let's not think that it's new. Remember Athens in Paul's day. For that matter, remember Corinthians. Remember Corinth. We should not be discouraged by this world. We should recognize that the wisdom of the world is foolishness. Now that's true. The wisdom of the world is foolishness. We should remember the God we serve. The God who is. And the God who loved us so that He gave His only begotten Son to be a sacrifice on Calvary's cruel cross for us on our behalf. Amen. To pardon our sin, to redeem us from the bondage of sin and from the grip of hell and to make us His own possession. Remember the God who is. God, we come to you. The only one who is. And your aseity brings us to worship. To praise you. And we don't come adding anything to you, but we come ascribing to you what is already yours. 
Our praises don't adorn you, for you are already adorned with all holiness. We don't magnify you by our worship, because you are already greater, higher in majesty, Lord of all. We don't exalt you because you are already exalted higher, greater, farther than we could ever even think or imagine. We come to you asking you to receive our worship. And God, we recognize that that would be laughable. We recognize that that would be unheard of but for Jesus Christ. We come asking that you would receive our worship through Jesus Christ because you and you alone are worthy of all worship. Receive us, Lord, through the blood and by the merit of Jesus Christ, Holy One. God who is, we pray, that you would stoop down to us, that you would speak to us in ways that we can hear by your word and your spirit. We pray that you would call sinners to repentance. We pray that you would grant faith for salvation. And we pray that the faith that you have given would grow by your word, by your spirit. And we pray that you would do all these things for the praise and the glory of your holy name.